Good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. The premise is simple. The podcast will provide you with insights for living and leading the authentic way so that you'll be better equipped to amplify your positive impact as a difference maker in any area of your life. What's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley. I am super excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are both so passionate about. Haley, good to see you. You're back to school. We are. Happy summer. Back to it. Back at it. Fresh start. I was always saying too, like, um, and I think we've probably mentioned this before, but it's so funny how September has such, and the fall, even though it's like, you know, three quarters of the way through the year, um, it's such more of like a, a new start for every, because of the school schedule. Like, even if you don't have school age kids, I feel like there's so many things that end at the end of August and begin in September, you know, whether that's, you know, a softball league or, you know, courses or, you know, anything like that. Like, I feel like that's just more of a, like a new year start than it feels like in January, which feels a hundred percent. I still love September. Uh, yeah. You know, I love, I love an, the, you know, uh, you know, having, uh, maybe it's my, you know, years of, of uh, going to school and then years of teaching university, but every, every, September feels like a new start for me. Yeah, for sure. And it, it, it's nice. Like it's uh, it feels like with the leaves falling and things for some reason, even though I know that's sort of like the end of these trees sort of cycle, um, it feels, I don't know. It sort of just feels like a period of like, all right, ready to start, you know, you betcha. Yeah, yeah. you betcha. Well, you had a thought today about talking about this topic of adulting. Yeah. So you found, uh, you came across this idea in, uh, before I chime in with, you know, working with, you know, teenagers who are on the cusp of adulting, um, your, your experience data, what have, what have you kind of seen and, and read about and things like that? Well, I just heard this, uh, this, uh, fascinating conversation. It was actually recorded a couple of years ago, uh, fascinating conversation on CBC with a woman named Julie Lith- Lithcott Haynes, who was a a uh, former dean of uh, the freshman dean of freshman and Cal- at the California St- uh, Standard Stanford University, and she talked about this notion of adulting and what's going on for university students when they're coming into university, and this ho- notion of just preparing young people to be adults. And are we doing our job? And I think her notion was that we we have a, a bit more of a challenge today in that it it costs economically, uh, it's, you know, the whole notion of minimum wage, for example, was developed after the depression. And so, uh, and it was enough to, you know, it was, it it was enough to, to keep a family uh, on income. Well, you can't make minimum wage today and pay rent. And as rent has increased, there's an economic factor, where it's, it's, getting to the point where we have to, in many cases, live at home with our parents. Now, it's my argument that if you're going to live at home with your parents, at least be charged some rent uh, so that you find out about the real world and that you have some responsibility. But the whole notion of adulting is just, are we preparing kids to deal with the adult world as opposed to cushioning them and protecting them and making it easy for them that they're actually not prepared to be in the real world. So I'm just curious from a from a school teacher what you're seeing with adolescents, what your whole notion of adulting. 
adulting is. <laughs> yeah, it's really fascinating too, especially like, you know, as a millennial, right? Like living in this world where housing costs are unreal. Several of my friends in their early 30s, having already worked for five, six, seven, eight years, are unable to afford a house, right? They they cannot afford it. Um, even though they're living with significant others, they have good saving habits. They're they're living in these like we're we're living in a in a very interesting time, um, especially post COVID, um, where there's a lot of these factors coming. And then also too, in terms of university and post secondary, um, what used to be a really straightforward path to work, where you graduated high school, you went to university, you got a degree, and you got a job right out of that, no longer is the case. Uh, a lot of work beyond height, beyond university rather, is looking for experience. How do you, and so you can't get a job if you don't have experience and you can't get experience if you don't have a job. Um, so it's this sort of vicious cycle. And then on top of that, because, um, because of the undergrad degree, you know, this, because that was the plan for so long, um, now it doesn't hold the same weight as it did, you know, in previous generations. So now an undergraduate degree isn't enough. You have to go and get work experience. You have to go and get a master's degree um, for a lot of these positions. You have to go get some sort of professional degree, whether that's an MBA or uh, a teaching degree or a law degree. Uh, you have to go back to college. Uh, there's a growing number of Canadians who are going back to college. Statistics Canada, actually, I was just, I actually have this open. I was talking about this in class today. Um, how, uh, let me see if I can actually just pull this up. Um, so Statistics Canada was actually talking about how, um, especially from, Okay, let me pull up my stats for sure on this one. Um, but more and more Canadians and uh, immigrants to Canada are going back to college after having finished a university degree. Uh, and the degrees or the certificates and the programs that they're looking to for colleges are, are things like human resources, are things like nursing, uh, or things like uh, health sciences in terms of like, you know, paramedics or ultrasound technicians and things like that. So, so the changing nature of the workforce coupled with incredibly uh, high housing prices means like our definition of of entering the adulthood needs to change um uh, and it, it needs to you know we're 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 struggling with even in, in terms of technology increasing and ai increasing uh in terms of the you know high schoolers who now are making a decision about what their paths are going to be if we work kind of backwards here high schoolers as they're trying to make a decision about going to university going to college taking a gap year what have you um, now are thinking about jobs that may exist or may not exist anymore by the time they get out of university that might be replaced by AI, um, that might need more job experience, that might need more education, more education, more education. Um, and so, and then as, as well too, the media, uh, demonstrates all of these people who didn't go to university and are making a lot of money. Um, so that's also really alluring, even if it's only the small percentage of people who can make it big without any kind of education. Um, so you have all of these significant issues on top of, um, a mental, a growing mental health crisis. Um, I was listening to a really fascinating, um, podcast called I Way with Jamila Jamil. Um, and she was talking about mental health and how right now with, with mental health, uh, she likened it to flying an airplane. And we are, we are really good at identifying, uh, identifying mental health issues. We're really good at that. We're really good at treating mental health issues, but we are not really good at being resilient and moving past it. So the metaphor she used was flying an airplane. So we're really good at getting the airplane off the ground, 
uh, we're really good at identifying mental health. We're really good at treating mental health in terms of taking personal days, in terms of seeking therapy, psychiatry, you know, psychology, um, counseling, medication, what have you. And I mean, we, we could still do better on that, but the problem now is that we don't know how to land the plane. We don't know how to actually push through this and develop resiliency for it. A lot of teenagers I see now are, are seeing this changing world among other things. Um, and they, they have anxiety, they have depression, they have a, a, a whole plethora of, of these issues. Um, and they don't yet have the skills and also parental push. Cause that's the other thing too, to be able to take safe risks in order to overcome those issues. Uh, and so what now we have are these, a, a, an entire generation of young people who are stagnant, who are stuck, who are, are looking at a future where a university degree may not be worth it anymore, where they won't be able to afford a place to live, where they won't be able to, you know, they have the right skills to be able to cope with all of these mental health crises that they're happening, uh, to be able to anticipate for a job that may or may not exist, and also wages that won't help them afford a lifestyle that they've been given by their parents. So it's, 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 I, I cannot imagine the struggle of being a young person right now um, because of all these factors going into them. On top of all that too, we don't, we don't have any tools to help them really welcome them into the adult life. Um, so yeah, so it's a very fascinating world right now to be a, a teenager, early twenties right now, way different than it was even, I mean, I graduated high school in 2011 and this is definitely not a world that I was experiencing and by any means. So are we preparing young people adequately for this thing called adulthood, where they can take responsibility for their life, they can pay their bills, they can be kind with each other, they can show up in the world no. uh, without blaming people. I don't um, think we are at all. What is needed, what's missing, and what's needed to fill that gap? I think we need to, if we talk in terms of culture, I think there needs to be more of a Base where we can respect this time of life uh, as as young adult. So, and I'll include that into early twenties as a time of exploration of of testing the waters of independence, of of opportunity, of trying things instead of pushing them into a path and into a box. Um, so, I think like supporting them to take risks, and then also helping them when those risks you know, when they realize that they can survive at the other end of that fall, right? Or that they, you know, maybe didn't and they figure out strategies to pick themselves back up. But we 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 are we aren't giving this period of life the right attention it deserves. We aren't getting them to think and giving them space to reflect on these essential questions of who am I? Who am I meant to be? What do I mean in the world? We aren't giving them those opportunities of reflection. We aren't giving them uh, the confidence and resiliency to be able to handle risk and to be able to cope at the end of that risk. Um, I still, even I teach senior high school and I still get emails from parents, not students themselves, from parents about a number of issues. And that's not good because if students can't email their teacher in a class of 12 students, how are they going to email their prof in a class of 500? How are they going to email their boss? How are they going to ask for time off or ask for, for, for what they need or express any concerns if their parents are the ones doing it for them? Um, we also have uh, students who are using um, anxiety as a reason to 
to curl up and to draw inward as opposed to something that's part of their life, uh, something that they can manage through risks, through trusting the, the, the community around them, through uh, finding their own ways of resiliency. Instead, we're saying, oh, you have anxiety. That's okay. You don't have to do this, this, and this, and this. Oh, that thing triggers you. You don't have to do this, 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 and this. Because that's not the way adulthood works. That's not the way the real world works. You can't, you, you need, the only way out is through. Um, and students need to be given those tools so that they can learn those skills so that when they are independent, when they are an adult, they'll be able to make it through okay. But we are we are so careful and protective of this group of young adults that they are just these little anxious bunny rabbits, essentially, that are so full of stress and anxiety and a misunderstanding of what the world is and who they could be and how they could go out and change the world. Um, and it's really, it's quite tragic because this is such an important time of life to be able to figure out where they fit, figure out who they are, figure out how they can give to the world and, and figure out their place in it. And we aren't allowing them time to think about that and figure that out. But we need to guide them Yes. We need to be there with them without rescuing them. Yes. And teach them and develop, you know, let's not make let's make sure we don't do anything for kids that they're capable of doing for themselves. And I I can tell you as a parent, it is painful to see your kids in pain. Yeah. It is painful to see un discomfort and you want to move in and rescue and take the pain away. And you know, whether your kids get a speeding ticket and we want to pay the ticket for them because they have to face the, 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 the consequence of having their insurance go up. Uh, it is easy to go in and rescue and we really need to support ourselves. Listen, the goal is we're trying to teach our kids how to be adults and what do they need to have this experience so that they can be better prepared to be adults. And it's a very different goal than making them happy and taking away their pain and their stress at this stage in their life. Exactly. Right. And they need to go through crisis. They need to go through these. So there's two, I guess, there's two um, important thinkers on this that I, I want to reference. Um, so Eric uh, Erickson uh, was a um, a psychologist who wrote a lot about different phases of life um, through crises. So he said, every phase of life is marked by a significant crisis. And if an individual isn't able to navigate that crisis, they will not be able to move on to the next plane as thoughtfully as and carefully and productively as another. Um, so for example, um, his first stage, for example, uh, is trust versus mistrust, which occurs from birth to 12 to 18 months old. And so what that's saying is that if if a baby cannot feel like they can trust the adults in their life, that will learn to that will lead to long-term mistrust and and trust issues later on in that individual's life. So that at that that is a critical crisis that that 12 uh, that birth to 12 to 18 month year old has to go through for them to know that they can trust the adults around them to meet their needs. Um for adolescents um it's called the identity versus confusion crisis. So they need to figure out who they are or they'll end up eternally confused. But he literally describes it as a crisis. So 
it's important for students and for, for, for teenagers, for adolescents to go through and ask these big questions and go through some hard grit, right? In order for them to come out okay with, with feeling confident with who they are and the world they're in and how they, how they feel. We can't rescue them from that crisis. It's critical to their identity, you know? Um, the other one, um, so as I mentioned to you, I'm working at a Montessori school. Um, I'm doing a lot of reading right now on, on Montessori and the adolescent and, and Maria Montessori, who came out with these theories really when teenager as didn't really exist as a phase of life, it was sort of, you finished elementary school and you go work on the farm. And yet even she says that, um, the psychological studies of adolescence always show two stages, a stage of both excitement and depression, and a second stage when the personality asserts itself and his mission becomes clear. He is capable of doing great things. This is followed by despondency. One could say that the power comes from the subconscious, whilst the shyness comes from the conscious. The struggle between the powers that live in the subconscious in order for man to exist and the shyness caused by the obstacles he must overcome man itself manifests itself in many different ways. So they're developing their values. They're testing different world paradigms. They're, they're exploring how they feel about hypocrisy, failure, shortfalls. They need to have ri- They need to take risks. They are impulsive. Uh, and Maria Montessori, uh, who is, is also, you know, had a background in, in anthropology, argued that perhaps the reason why teenage brains aren't developed for long-term thinking, for thinking about consequences, anyone who's been around a teenager and been like, think, I actually recall, dad, you often being like, Haley, think. Uh, because teenagers don't have th- their long-term thinking and consequence planning and rational decision-making part of their brain doesn't develop until you're in your mid-20s. And so what Maria Montessori said is that perhaps that was there was an evolutionary advantage uh, in ancient hunter-gatherer groups for teenagers, that they were the more impulsive risk-taking beings, uh, so they could go out and take all of these risks, which would have been better for the community, right? The community can come in and clean up after these, these risky, impulsive teenagers, Right. But if we stop them from taking these risks and we don't give them that opportunity to test those waters, they're going to be stunted. They're going to be stuck, right? And so when you're in a world full of climate change and housing prices that are through the roof and insecure jobs, that actually is why we need get to get them to take risks more because this is a world full of uncertainty and they're not going to be able to navigate it properly unless they learn those tools with a lot of caring adults around them who won't be there forever. So making it easy and taking away the pain is actually counterproductive and actually leads to greater mental health challenges and greater anxiety, if you will. Yeah, right. Um, Everyone can talk about a time when they got out of their comfort zone and realized how good it was to get out of there, right? And that is the point of being a teenager. That is the whole point. They're testing social boundaries. They're testing physical boundaries because their bodies are still growing. They're testing their identity. They're testing to see how they fit in the world. They're asking all of these big questions. And so we need to give them opportunities for risk-taking. And for some kids, that means dyeing their hair and showing up to school with bright red hair. For some kids, that's staying overnight on a camping trip with school. Uh, For some kids, that's you know, taking the car out for the first time independently once they get their license, right? Uh, For some kids, that's failing a test that they weren't prepared for. There's nothing wrong with that, right? That will happen in life. They will fail at something. 
right? So they need to know that they can make it through okay, right? If we take away all of these risky behaviors, and it's it's and I, I say risk, but it's every kid is different what their level of risk is, what they need. This doesn't mean every kid needs to go cliff jumping. For some kids, it's showing up to school without makeup on. For them, that's a huge risk, right? For some of them, it's trying out for the school play, right? For some of them, it's coming out a little bit after curfew, right? So it's giving them these opportunities to make these mistakes, to learn from this, right? And then also being there to debrief it with them afterwards to help them learn from it and and grow from it. And you're not suggesting in any way that we get rid of the boundaries and the rules. No, in no, fact, no, no, no. life has life itself will give them rules. So yeah. take the rules away is rescuing them too much and giving them too much freedom. Um, doesn't teach them how to work within the structure of society, but they're going to push against that. And we, as parents, need to take a stand uh, on what those what those boundaries are. And it was interesting. So, um, according to like Montessori philosophy, they challenge in uh, for like for adolescents instead of calling them rules, they say call them values, because it helps them realize that because rules feel arbitrary rules feel controlling but values are created by the group for the betterment of the group right and so for parents to approach teenagers or anyone who works with young people instead of calling them rules you call them values right why is it important to come home on time that is a value that you have to be held accountable to parents for parents who are worried about you they're concerned about you and it also shows that you're accountable and respectful of everybody's time and of you know of um the the vehicle that you borrowed because you somebody else might need it for example right but that is a value right um same with you know um what would be another rule i guess like cell phones at the dinner table right the value you, there's value in conversing and connecting with other people without cell phones so instead of calling it a rule talk about values and then help adolescents also build those values right give them a say in it because they're going to buy in if you help them you know understand why those rules slash values are there in the first place what happens if those values aren't followed and you give them a say in constructing those values too you're going to be they're going to be more invested there's going to be more buy-in and that's the real world right they're going to be you know navigating in a space where they have to create values for themselves and work with the values of others and that's what it means to be a social creature i love that haley you know i come from the rules uh, world. And what I love about values, that's a, that's an aha moment for me in this conversation. What I love about values is that, is that they're principles based on a why. And that yeah. when we, when we really can understand why we're, why we're asked to do things, it can help us keep in mind the goal, which is we're helping you prepare yourself to be an adult. And even if kids may not get that message, we need to continually get that message for ourselves as caregivers, as as parents and caregivers and teachers to make sure that we say we're helping kids prepare for the world. I always use the analogy, and I probably have on this podcast before, around uh, the only place that animals in nature, and there's no place in nature where animals are secure. They, they have to deal with the real world, except in a zoo. And if you wanted a formula for how to create anxiety in animals, you just protect them for 18 years in a zoo, assuming they live that long, and then mm -hmm. just all of a sudden open the door and set them out into the wild. They're going to get anxious because they have not been prepared to deal with that. So we don't want to raise our kids. Uh, like I think sometimes we raise them like they're in hotels. We feed them. We ask them what they want. We give them service. We clean up after them. 
And then we wonder why they feel a sense of entitlement. But I think we have to be careful that we're always keeping in mind, how am I helping my child become an adult? How is my behavior going to lead to that goal and keep that goal in mind? And it also, it's it's empowering for the young person you're working with to know that you trust them to make the right decision, or you trust that they're going to be able to reflect if they make a terrible decision, right? But it's it's empowering for them, right? And and it's also, you know, by, by helicoptering them and by over-parenting them and coddling them, it's easy to do. You love your kid. You love these, these young humans. You don't want them to struggle. Everyone has gone through struggles and you don't want to see them struggle, right? But I think it's also recognizing that short-term, for sure, great idea. But long-term, they need to know that when they fall and scrape their knee, there won't always be someone there to kiss it better and give them a Band-Aid. They need to figure out where the Band-Aids are, put the Band-Aid on themselves, and figure out ways of, of getting back to it and getting back to the game that they were playing when they scraped their knee, right? Um, I'm, you know, so I mentioned before when, you know, my husband AJ was in that car accident, um, where, you know, a, a pedestrian jumped in front of his car, um, and no fault of his own. Um, a really important thing for him was to get back and start driving again. Cause if he didn't do it, he never would have. Right. But that's an important thing to learn and reflect on and to push through. Cause that's a struggle. It's hard. Absolutely. Right. But you don't know you'll be able to make it to the other side unless you make it to the other side. <laughs> Absolutely. And we need a caring adult who's invested in us to say, you know what, you got to get back in the saddle. I mean, I literally grew up with horses, fell off. And, you know, my parents would say, no, you're getting back on there. And it's you need a caring adult in your life to to push you in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is fascinating. We could go on with this all day. I'm very, very passionate about it. Is Is there anything else that I haven't asked you about what's in your mind? around this whole notion of preparing kids for, uh, for being adults? I think, I think if, if, if for anyone listening who is around teenagers and young adults, I think you can give them compassion, give them respect because especially too, like they're, they're living in, in, and I hate to use unprecedented times because that's been so overused in the last three years, but they're growing up in a, in a world full of uncertainty. Um, they're growing up in a world that, you know, doesn't, hasn't existed in any capacity before, right? The, the plan that has the, the stability and the plan that has existed for at least a couple generations, not forever, but a few generations, um, is, is tumultuous. Um, they're, they're, you know, looking at, you know, how hard it is to get into universities nowadays because of inflated marks and increased pressures. Um, you know, the, that how competitive it is to get into these professional programs, um, how the pressure that we put on these young people to, to just go straight to school after high school and to not take that time of reflection and pause and exploration and, and service learning and community learning that we just push them straight to school. Um, but there, there is some intense value in, in reflecting and pausing and resting for these adolescents so that they can let all of these new experiences in their world sink in. Um, so I think, you know, having compassion and empathy for them as they're in this really turbulent time, uh, and then also empowering them to make their own decisions, um, and to step back and you can help be there to clean up the mess after, but it's important for them to make that mess in the first place that they know that this turbulent world is going to. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. Because the world's a turbulent place. They need to know how to navigate it. And they need to have the confidence to know that they can navigate it once they graduate, whether that well, be high school or post-secondary. In terms of education, if you're going to live to your 90 today, you're going to be a lifelong learner. This notion of complete finishing education is a misnomer anymore. And so what's the hurry? Let's yeah. relax. Let's chill and and explore different options. I love the way you've articulated that. Let's take that pressure off ourselves, but not take the pressure of of being an adult. Yeah. They always say, you know, in this Montessori, you need both. You need risk taking and you need reflection because you can't have one without the other. Right. They're, they're that yin and yang thing. Right. The opposites there. Right. And so they need risks. And they need reflection and we need to create space for both in these, in these young adults so that they can, they can, I have so much hope for Gen Z, you know, I, I, I really think talking to them and, you know, all of these, these considerations aside, they're the most engaged, passionate group of, 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 of people. Um, and like, we're, we're, we're in for a better world once they start taking power. So let's give them the opportunity to take these risks and, and reflect on it. You love these young people, huh? Oh, Thanks. I love them. I love my job. I love it. They teach me new things every day. <laughs> yeah, and I've, you know, sometimes when I've been in teaching your classes as a mm -hmm. guest speaker, I'm always inspired by uh, what the, the attitudes and the values. I think I, you've really shone a light on this importance of values mm -hmm. and really talk about what are our values and, and how will we live those values and, and uh, be uncompromising on the values. Mm -hmm. and, but, and do it collectively. But I find kids are very ethical around their own values. They know what they yeah. value. We don't have to instill values in them by the time they're 15 years old. They know what their values are. Nope, and exactly. uh, they may have to, you know, refine them as they as they grow. But uh, let's have a conversation about what they value instead of imposing. There's not much we can do in terms of imposing our values by that stage. No. And it's the best, the best behavior management strategy I've ever used um in any teaching capacity in any class is um you you ask them okay you know what what do we need to do as a collective class to make sure this is a healthy safe fun engaging productive place to work right and what does that mean how do we have these conversations what do we do if somebody breaks these these values goes against these values and you get so much more buy-in than me just coming in and giving a slideshow of all of my rules for them um, then they actually want to enforce it and work with it together. And they get so excited when you ask them that question, because so rarely do we ask them that question. You know, they love to be empowered by that. It's a good question to bring into families. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there one or two more actions? So one is to ask kids what they value and create values as a family is in your classrooms. Are there any other yeah. concrete uh, examples that we could begin to that I, we could leave our listeners with? I think back off. <laughs> I think back off for kids. Let them make mistakes. Back off, right? They need to learn that they can pick themselves back up. And then also that doesn't mean back off forever. That just means back off during the risk taking and then help guide them during the reflection of it. Right. right? Um, and I think to, you know, be compassionate with them, you know, like, you know, it's a weird world. There's a lot of stress and anxiety with them, but being compassionate doesn't mean, you know, doing the work for them. It just means listening to what their concerns are. And, and asking them questions, what are you going to do about it? Okay, what are you going to do about it? Now what? Okay, what can you do about it? What are you going to do about it? Right? Instead of giving them a plan, giving them advice, telling them what to do, doing it for them. 
I, I think the same thing applies. I, I love those suggestions. And I think I would just add one more and that is to affirm, help, help them affirm themselves. Yes. So if they come home yeah. from school, if they got a report card, something happened, uh, rather than us evaluate it, the important mm -hmm. question is, how do you feel about it? Yep. And what did you learn from it? And how can yep. you improve the situation and put it back on their lap rather than taking that on on ours? Because that's adulthood. You know, that's exactly. what it means to be an adult. Because exactly. these are all things that we deal with mentally all the time, right? We don't have anyone to say, hey, that was a great report card. I wish, but no, I don't get, I don't even get a report card. Come on. Like, <laughs> Or else we'll put that pressure on a significant other in our life that they have to affirm us and it won't lead to this thing called adulthood. Nope. Hey, it's been a great conversation. I can go on all hey. day with this. Hey, what are you grateful for? As we wrap up, we always end with uh, our gratitude list. Oh, what am I grateful for? Uh, I'm grateful that I get to teach a group of really cool kids in and in, in, in a really cool, unique way. And I can have these discussions with them and they ask awesome questions and they're engaged and jazzed. And I work with amazing colleagues who are all there for the same philosophy. So I, I love my job. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for rest. I think that's the other thing I would, I had intended on getting up early. We were going through a heat wave right now. Um, so I, I had intended on getting up early to be able to go for a run this morning to beat the heat. And I didn't, and I felt great this morning. So I will go now, but, uh, it's still 31 degrees and it's 6 30 PM at this point in time. So that's wacky. What are you grateful for dad? And well, also, to be able, I, also for be able to, you know, share all of these things with, with you. Cause I'm so passionate about this. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful to have a daughter who is, 31 years old now? Next year, 31 in March. So yeah. almost 31. I lose track. Um, <laughs> I, I'm grateful for a daughter who has found her way into adulthood and has adulted and is in, 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 the, in the work of being an adult and is mature and understands these concepts that I can have these amazing conversations with. So I'm, I'm grateful to see you have launched and found your way in life. It, it, it makes me very proud and it, and it inspires me. Thanks, Dad. And thanks for asking all these great questions. I love talking about this stuff. So, Well, until next time, everybody, uh, keep, keep real and help those that you influence. If you are influencing as an aunt, as an uncle, as a teacher, as a parent, as a caregiver, keep influencing those young people to become better adults one day.